information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision-making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts. So, you've decided you want more out of your life. More than the 9 to 5. More than paycheck to paycheck. More than lifelong debt. But that leaves questions. Where do I go from here? What can I do without any money, connections, or experience? Our goal is not only to provide you with answers to those questions, but also to motivate people in an authentic way, mentor people who don't have mentors, give back, and hear some inspiring stories along the way. If you're not going to show people what's possible, who is? My name is Aaron Eiler. And I'm April Munson. And and this this is Ground Zero. Hey guys, this is Adam Carswell, the founder of the Dream Chasers platform, and thank you for tuning into our content. We've got some phenomenal creators making a name for themselves on this platform, and we just want to say thank you for going on this journey with us. It's been a lot of fun over the past few years, and hey, we're just getting started. We would also like to take this moment to shine light on our sponsor, Raise Masters, the number one mastermind for elite capital raisers. To learn more about Raise Masters, you can go to raisemasters.com. That's raisemasters.com. And again, thank you for investing your most valuable resource with us, your time. Now kick back and enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Dream Chasers Ground Zero. Today, I have with us Daniel Droke. Daniel, would you just mind sharing the story with us of what we like to call your personal ground zero moment and some of the things that you learned along the way to get to where you are now? Definitely. I can think of several ground zero moments actually in my life. Um, So I'll start back in high school. So I took uh, my freshman, sophomore and junior year of high school. I took an AutoCAD, like a drafting course. And the first two years, I, I loved it amazing teacher, made it fun, taught us a lot of stuff. And it was super cool to get plugged into that. And the way that my brain works, um, creating something that used to not exist and kind of see it on your computer screen. That was super cool for me. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, in my third year, my junior year, um, I thought, uh, you know, I, I was going into that year super excited and I found out that the teacher retired and there was a new guy that came, and by the way, the, the teacher was an older gentleman. He had been around the block many times, really kind of laid back. And, and the new teacher that we got was this kind of young hotshot guy. And I'm sure he knew exactly what he was doing uh, out in the field, but it just was definitely a dynamic shift between the way that he saw the world and the previous teacher who had really helped me uh, fall in love with that, that class. And so I'm thinking, you know, maybe this is something that I could do from a career perspective. And I'd been looking at um, going to school at Texas Tech uh, at, the, at that point in time. I think they have a pretty good architecture program where they did at the point that I was looking. And the teacher kind of like totally made it not fun for me. And maybe I was just young enough that that was like the buzzkill. And I was like, oh, man, well, what am I going to do now? So kind of ramping up for preparing for what do you want to do? Uh, in college and thinking you've got a game plan and, and then it changes on you. So that's kind of a smaller thing, but uh, good for me. I had also a lot of friends who were plugged into the music space. 
Um, I play guitar. I try to at least. I've got a lot of really uh, talented musician friends who are who are fantastic at what they do, but they really cared about the engineering uh, and the technicalities of like how do you create a sound that you're going after. So if you play guitar or uh, like electric guitar or bass or something, you've got different amplifiers and their solid state versus tube, and you've got different pedals that you can in effects that you can do, and you're really engineering. You're crafting the sound of of what you want. And that was really intriguing for me. So I decided, well, I'll go to school for audio engineering instead. Um, I, <laughs> everybody who's currently in, in college, plug your ears for this, but I, I really didn't want to pursue an academic program. I didn't want a degree, but I did want to learn about the things that I was interested in. And so uh, instead of pursuing you know, a bachelor's program, which our, the school did offer, I pursued uh, technical certifications instead. And the reason for that was I wanted to fill all of my time with the things I really cared about, and I didn't want to fill it with the things that I didn't care about. That works for some people, not for others. So definitely, you know, do do what's right for you. Um, I got plugged into that space, and when you start learning about things, you realize all of the new things that you can go and learn about. And so, if you're really driven to go and find new information, you just kind of get sucked into this like never-ending web of of information. And that's exactly what happened to me when I get plugged into audio engineering. You know, we're learning the hands-on bits um, at school where there's there's hardware and there's things you they cost money. And if you don't have it at that point in time, like going to school to learn about it is great. But spending a lot of time online, you're reading through forums, you're reading through you know product catalogs, and you you can you've got access to a lot of information today outside of the educational. Uh, uh, ecosystem, right? Instead of just being in a class, you can do a lot of learning online. So in that, I was learning a ton. One of the classes that I needed to do was uh, an internship program and needed to amass so many hours. And so I needed to go find somewhere that would let me work as a student and I could claim some internship hours. And I got plugged into a church and actually through one of my uh, instructors. And that was awesome because now I'm, I'm getting hands-on experience out in the world with the thing that I really care about learning about. And because of the, the, that, that environment that I got plugged into, I was able to meet really uh, skilled people in their profession and who actually cared to like teach somebody who was driven to learn was, was teachable, if you will. And like that environment was so such a rapid uh, learning experience that I kind of got frustrated with school because I was learning so much more in the industry, doing the thing hands-on instead of theoretically learning about something that might come to fruition. And that's not, there's nothing wrong with that in education, but my brain totally latched on to, oh, well, I'm not going to sit here in a class when I can go do it for real and I can get paid to learn. And so that was just awesome. Uh, I think I spent three semesters in school um, may, maybe have collected one certification, I don't know, but went from thinking I was going to do architecture to doing audio engineering. <clears throat> Fast forward, I was working for a production company for, for a period of time. I'd worked for some churches for a period of time, had done some independent consulting for a while. And there was like um, a 10-day stretch where I put in 160 hours. And some people may think that's a lot. Some people are like, yeah, I do that all the time. For me, that was atypical. <clears throat> And I was engaged at the time. And my then fiance, now my wife, said, hey, if you want to have a family and, and spend time with them, you got to figure out 
a new job. And I was like, man, this is devastating for me because I'm trying to like, you know, hone my craft, develop my name. And, you know, my, my fiance is telling me like, that's not going to work. So, and she meant it in, in the most loving way possible. She was like, I want to spend time with you. Right. So there's nothing wrong with that, but I was trying to figure out, well, gosh, what am I going to do now? So my dad at the time had just changed companies. He had worked for an oil field service company for a long time. Friend of a friend uh, got connected with him and said, hey, why don't, you, why don't you come check this other company out? So when he transitioned, he spun up a new program and they needed some folks to, to come in and, and help bootstrap that program. One of the roles that they needed was a data analyst. And um, I decided to apply and got, uh, got the job and started a, a new career kind of working with, um, we'll just say data for now. I was so concerned about making that tra transition because I anticipated it was going to require a lot of uh, Excel skills, or if anybody uses Google Sheets or Microsoft Excel, you know what I'm talking about, but I didn't spend time in spreadsheets. And it was the skill set that I was like, you're going to need it. And I don't know what to do with it. Um, and in hindsight, that was a very ridiculous thought. And I'll explain more on that later. But that was a, that was a big scare for me was I didn't understand this thing but still went into a new space. And um, I worked doing that for a few months. Uh, we were looking at engineering drawings and we would basically uh, do data entry. We're looking at these drawings going, okay, there's an outside diameter of two inches and an inside diameter of one. And there's you know a bevel with a certain radius. I need to put that all into um, a database, essentially. Did that for a period of time and then transitioned into a, a, um, an engineering applications uh, support group. And my new boss at the time was uh, very patient with me. And <laughs> he, he said, do you have any uh, computer programming skills or, or computer science background? And I said, no. Um, and I kind of got plugged into this by like the people that you know. So another key takeaway in this is who you know really, really matters probably anywhere that you are uh, in life. So through, through the network, I got placed in this, in this position. <clears throat> And uh, he gave me a piece of, uh, of code that he was maintaining after I'd been working with him for a few months and said, hey, you know, take a look at this. It was Java code. So if anybody out there is in computer science program or has done any kind of uh, software engineering and Java is a, a language out there, he said, take a look at this and, and see if you can make heads or tails of it. Uh, he had been kind of maintaining it as a side, side project thing and would reach out to an engineer friend of his when he needed to make updates to it. I was like, okay, um, and looked at it, and I didn't know what Java was. I mean, I thought this was, I thought Java was coffee um, at the time, and I didn't know anything about programming, but got online, did some research through Google, found a few videos on YouTube, and figured out how people were, you know, interfacing with a computer. You type something out in, uh, you know, Microsoft Word or on uh, Google, Google, whatever their word thing is. But you're, you're typing your notes down and you're just having a conversation with the computer. And like when I kind of simplified it to that, I was like, OK, I, I can learn this. Right. A few a few keywords, a few syntax things. Um, not a big deal. So fast. That was really where I started, like my computer science career. Um, and again, that was that was a whole new pivot from the thing that I had originally joined the company for. And uh, that was, I think, back in in 2000. Uh, 13. 
So, so around nine years, actually, since I started my computer science career and we started building like small scale engineering systems and then kind of graduated into some systems integrations and did some business process, process management things. And all of this is just kind of learning as we went. And, and every time that we went into a new thing, I always felt like I knew nothing about this new space that we were going to be in. But I think what was really important was being willing to take the step and say, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll say yes to the opportunity and, uh, and then go figure out how to do it. And I, I don't think that this is a novel statement. I think, what is it, Richard Brunson from Virgin has said something similar in the past. And um, it's really true. It's important. As long as you, if you can overcome the uncertainty and maybe the fear in stepping out into a new thing, oftentimes it's not as bad as maybe you anticipated. And uh, if you stick with it and you're diligent, like you'll probably achieve what you needed to. And so, you know, fast forward to where I am today, I've gone through a, a number of uh, engineering roles. Um, I currently serve as vice president of product for a company called ThoughtTrace, which is a startup out of uh, the Houston, Texas area. We use artificial in, uh, intelligence and machine learning to understand unstructured content locked away within contracts and documents that businesses use uh, throughout their, their business life cycle and turn that into structured information so that they can be really efficient and go and accomplish the objectives that they have for their business. So um, it's been a wild ride, um, but yeah, just learn the new thing. And, and so I've had a few ground zero moments, if you will, restarting into a new positioning and, and um, kind of outside of my, uh, let's say corporate track, we also started investing in real estate back in 2019. We got plugged into multifamily. Um, some friends of ours actually had encouraged us to get involved in real estate investing. We were very unfamiliar with that. Go figure another new thing for us. And we looked into what does it kind of take to get started? We were moving at, um, around that time into the house that we live at now. Friends encouraged us to hold on to our, our first property. So we did that and rented it out and it's been great. And as we were looking to figure out how to scale that, um, my wife actually came across a multifamily meetup. And that was local in our area. So we went and attended that and it was awesome. I mean, we got plugged into a group uh, of folks that was all about multifamily and we were drinking from a fire hose again, just new information. And you don't really know what's going on in a new space, but we were like, man, this is, this seems really cool. So we kept going back, right. And putting in the time and I'll go back to the YouTube and the, and the Googling information is out there. If you, if you'll, if you're willing to pursue it, it's out there. And so we just spent, spent a lot of time researching this and it made sense to us. And so we've, we've invested, I think, in uh, around 550 doors uh, across Arizona and Texas to date. Um, we've gone full cycle on uh, 116 doors, which is awesome. And um, we're now on the sponsorship side of things, looking to uh, start our own portfolio and, and grow that over time. So just another new venture for the family. And um you know, one more, I'll say kind of ground zero thing is on the, on the personal aspect, when we, when we moved out into our, the, the house that we're in now, we live on a little over 12 acres. And when COVID started um, in 2020, uh, my wife said, hey, let's work on our self-sustainment game. And I said, well, what's that mean? And she said, let's get chickens. So first time farmer, uh, we decided to go get chickens. We were going to raise them for eggs. And my engineering brain said, okay, I need to have all the information, right? So you're going again, Google, YouTube, familiar sources at this point to figure out how do you support and take care of chickens? 
way over-engineered a coop, spent way too much time, way too much energy thinking about it. They're animals, they've been around for hundreds of years and they've been just fine without humans taking care of them. Yet, you know, we make a big deal about it. So I did that and uh, we were successful in our first batch. She said, hey, let's, let's raise some for meat. I'm like, okay, well, I've never processed a chicken before but I guess we can try that too. So um, turns out you can't just order five. You've got to order a minimum of like 25, which was way more than I was planning to do for a first time go. But we did that. We made it through. And uh, actually, after we processed our first batch, my wife said, hey, uh, let's let's go get some more chickens, like just for for layers. And it took us about five seconds to go. Hmm, yeah, that's a good idea. So you know, I think it's just an example of once you kind of get into a new space, you kind of get your bearings, you get your wheels and your feet underneath you. And like taking that next step and scaling up to the next thing is really not that big of a deal because you've eliminated some of the uncertainty of, of figuring out that new space. Um, so we, that's kind of just the pattern that we've had, I think both myself and, and for my wife who I haven't even touched on her background, but she's incredibly smart, very driven as, and really has been, I would say a uh, catalyst for a lot of things that we've done in our family um, and so it, it's good to sub surround yourself, whether it's your spouse or significant other or, or a really close friend, like it's, it's good to have somebody that is like encouraging you to, to take that next step, get over your fear and just like move forward into a new thing. Cause that could be something really cool for you. So that's a few ground zero moments and, uh, sorry for the long windedness. No, it's all good, man. I love it. I love the story. And, you know, like it's just super cool to hear everybody's own interpretation of what that means. And that's where I think those of us that are kind of familiar with the concept can all relate to the fact that, I mean, obviously they vary in terms of like how monumental it was, but each and every one of us can think of like multiple different times where we would consider like, all right, I'm back at square one, you know? So like, it's, it's kind of a, just a cool concept to hear, you know, everybody else's interpretations of that. But um, what I like about yours is that you guys were really able to kind of like dip into a bunch of different things without becoming completely overwhelmed. And that's kind of where I want to like go right now, because I know so many people now that get like interested in, you know, different things like you guys got interested in chickens, you got interested in real estate, you know, just little things like that. But a lot of people get interested in these things. And I mean, they might get as far as the YouTube, the Google rabbit hole but then they never really take any sort of action on doing something about that. And that's where I kind of want to ask you for your take on this, kind of what do you think is the reason that a lot of people are doing that now, but also what do you think those people can do to maybe kind of get over that hump and actually start pursuing those things that they, you know, find an interest in? Wow. Um, I, some people might not like this answer, but I think that a lot of people are lazy. Um, and I think that, Maybe that, and I'll say that uh, contextual to like the American culture, at least. I, I don't know who all listens to this podcast, but I think there's just, it's very easy in our, in our current culture to be lazy because we have such a wealth of like entertainment, I'll call it at our fingertips. I mean, in the same way that I used Google and YouTube for learning, many people can use the same sources, those same tools for entertainment. And it's super easy. And, you know, you, you think I, I can pick up my phone. I've got a smartphone. I don't even know that there's such a thing as not a smartphone these days. But I remember when the first iPhone came out, right? And like how pivotal that that was and the transformation that we've seen since then where we're carrying around these like crazy supercomputers in our pockets and we play games and stuff on them. And like you've got infinite scrolling on whatever your social media platform of choices. And like 
you know, these things, they just, all of these companies really are competing for your time. I mean, that's what they, that's how they make their money. If you spend time on their platform, they're winning. And that's really how our world is, right? Like that's, that's entertainment, um, that that's business from a social standpoint. And so given that you've got all these distractions, it's very easy to, to kind of just like fall into that. Eh, I'll just scroll or whatever. That was interesting for a little bit of time, but my, my brain, you know, scientifically, like it's addicting to do these other things. So uh, if people are not driven then, or they don't really have like high aspirations, then maybe they won't pursue it. And if they're just kind of in the habit of, of kind of coasting, which is incredibly easy to do. And I, I don't necessarily fault people for, for stumbling into that, but it's really important. I think that you surround yourself with people who are driven and who are going to encourage you to like stay driven and stay moving forward. There was a period of my, and I skipped over this, but there's a period of, of uh, my life where my wife and I actually, we were very complacent. Um, before we had kids, we were living in an apartment. And I can remember that there were, there were weekends where we would literally stay on the couch all weekend long. We would have like gone to Shipley's in the morning and gotten something. And then we would have gone and picked up pizza and we would have binged Netflix, you know, Friday night, all day, Saturday. And you just, you feel literally like a, like a potato chip sitting on a, on a couch, um, covered in grease and like, you know, lazy and whatever. And, and like, that's not a good, it's not a good place to be. It's not good for your health, but it's not also good for like you making progress in life. And again, I give a lot of credit to my wife. Love my parents too. I'm married to my wife now. So they, she, she gets a lot, right. But like busting out of that and just saying, I'm going to, I'm going to stay productive. Right. And if she had not helped motivate us, right. Or me, then I might still be in that same kind of rut. And so if you look at a lot of successful people that are out in the world, they probably all had some kind of a mentor. They had somebody that was pouring into them, encouraging them to go, to go beyond where they're at and keep moving forward. And so it's really important to surround yourself with people who are going to drive you if you surround yourself with people who are lazy, you're going to be lazy. And so, uh, get a good group of friends, get a good, a good mentor or something like that. 100%. I feel like the, um, the example that I like to use with that scenario is like, um, a lot of people can relate to like, um, whether a family member or themselves or wherever, like if you travel somewhere for a long enough period of time, like where people have an accent where like, you know, if you go somewhere that they speak different than you, you'll start to realize that after a long enough period of time and everybody's seen the videos that people make of this now, but you start to pick up that accent that the native people speak there. Well, it's kind of a similar situation. The more you hang around people that are better than you, the better you're going to get. The more you hang around people that are worse than you, the worse you're going to get. It's just kind of a weird little paradigm, but where you spend your time, that's what you're going to become, you know, more like. And that's where um, I think it's huge now, especially just that, you know, I'm trying to think of how to word it that um, I think too many of us, like we think too, I I don't want to say we think too big, but we discourage ourselves of what we want to accomplish because we think too big. And what I mean by that is that we may have a vision like of something that we're interested in. Like we've talked about getting into new hobbies and things like that. We might have a vision of, you know, something that we want to achieve doing that, but we're too focused on where we want to go to realize what we need to do right now. And that's where I think so many people get like discouraged and they get down on themselves and they lose their self-confidence and they never start or they never get anywhere, give up, et cetera. But I think that like we just underestimate how much time these things take. 
And where, like, like you mentioned, there are people that are out there being lazy and they're coasting, but at the same time, like there's a difference between coasting and like taking your time with the process. And like, that's kind of what I'm trying to talk about here that like, if you're in too much of a hurry and you don't achieve the results, like you're putting extra pressure on yourself and you're like almost intentionally discouraging yourself of achieving whatever that goal is for you. And, you know, that is then going to obviously put you off to where you don't feel confident in doing that thing. And every day you keep doing it, you're going to feel less and less encouraged to do it, less motivated to do it. And eventually you're just going to stop doing it. But what I'm saying is having that big goal is great, but you have to break that down into the smallest portion possible and recognize your first step in doing that. That's where you recognize what you need to do. And then you do that. You know, I think too many of us focus on how are we going to get there? How long is it going to take to get there? How hard is it going to be to get there? And we don't focus on what we need to do to get there where we say, you know, um, say I want to start raising chickens. Well, the first thing I need to do is learn about what a chicken is, you know? So I got to go to YouTube. I got to go to Google, wherever, like, obviously we have these options now, but I have to, you know, I have to do that preliminary research before I can just jump into that. That's step one. Okay. Now I know what a chicken is Two, How do you take care of a chicken? You know, like, but it's, but instead we're thinking about how to raise 500 chickens and how to support, you know, however many it is, but my, I, you know, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but, um, but what I'm just trying to say is that when you break that down, it's much less daunting and it's much easier to continue doing it. We need to just bring it down to a less, you know, heavy level to the point that we're able to say like, okay, this is my step for today. I'm going to get that done next day. I'm not thinking about where I'm going. I'm thinking about the next step. Now I can achieve step two and keep moving in that direction. If we're more focused on the next step ahead, we're going to achieve that. And like, you know, like, like we were just talking about where your mind is, is where, you know, um, is what you're going to, um, you know, bring into your life. But what I'm trying to say is that, you know, if you were, if you focus more so on the next step, you're more likely to achieve the next step. And if you can just continue to achieve that single next step, eventually you're going to get there rather than focusing on the big goal, discouraging yourself, you know, finding complete discontent and then giving up on it before you even get there. Definitely. One of the guys, um, on our, on our team at thought trace, uh, referred to an article from Harvard business review. And I believe the title is something to the effect of when small ideas add up to something big. And, um, the thought process, I mean, there's actually a study done, but I think to the point that you're saying, you don't have to accomplish a big thing every single day. It's all the little things that you accomplish on a daily basis that will add up to a point that is recognized then as material progress in something. And so those little wins each and every day when they add up can get you to the point where enough things have changed that you then recognize your progress or now you see the world in a new perspective or under a new light. And that'll bring new innovation and new inspiration for whatever you're trying to, to accomplish. So 100% agree, have a goal, have a vision of where you, of the direction that you wanna head and then figure out what's one thing that I can do that will get me a step closer. And then what's the next thing? And you'll find yourself there after some amount of time, for sure. And I think, um, like, I might've already touched on this already, but just that, like, when you're trying to focus on too many things at once, it's extremely difficult to achieve that one thing that you need to do. 
where when I'm thinking that I have to do A, B, C all the way through Z in order to get to my objective goal, then it's a lot hard for me to focus on how I'm going to get A done today. And that's where, um, you know, where like time comes in, like we come in and we're all, you know, like, especially when it's something new, we're super excited, we're super motivated, we're ready to dive into this new thing and, you know, achieve whatever level of success that that is for us. But at the same time, like you have to try and fight that motivation to just conquer the world day one and bring it down to the point that you can just worry about taking that first step. And it does take time. It is going to make it take longer, but that's building up the consistency and the drive that it's going to take to get you to that end goal where, you know, like I said, you have to be patient enough to, you know, take the right amount of time to make sure that you're doing it ethically, that you're doing it correctly, that you're doing it responsibly, actually building up that, you know, foundation that you need to be successful in that role. And, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, understand the, you know, the saying that, you know, the best things in life take time, whatever, like everybody's heard that, but at the same time, we just never really think about it to the point that like, okay, you know, that works for my dream, my vision too. You know, if that is going to be worth it to me, it's going to take every bit as long to get there. So why don't I give it that time? Why don't I take one day to achieve one thing? And I'm not saying you only have to do one thing every day, but what I'm saying is that like, don't overcomplicate it and don't overwork yourself to the point that you're in such a hurry that you're going to completely throw yourself off of the actual plan and throw yourself off of your dream. Absolutely. Uh, so two things that really come to mind in completely different areas of focus is like in thought trace within our, uh, our area of focus, which is product. Like we are trying to solicit ideas from a very large audience of people. That's uh, employees that are at ThoughtTrace from our customer success group. It's from you know our engineers who are very close to technology and they're working with it every day. So they'll have different ideas that come forth. You've got your executives at the company who are saying, man, I wanna go compete in this market and that market for whatever reasons. And so they've got ideas and then you're in your customers, right? And so you're trying to figure out out of all of the ideas, right? And you're working with a lot of really smart people Okay, well-educated, very accomplished, and everybody's got these wonderful ideas and they're just kind of coming at you from all different directions, uh, high velocity. And you're trying to like make sense of, okay, out of all of these brilliant ideas, what's the one that I can focus on right now? So having a, a system where you can try and rank what is important to you? Like, what are the things that are important to you that can help uh, uh, qualify and quantitatively kind of rank um, and, and quantitatively quality and, qual and quantity is very good. Uh, an idea that you've got so that you can say this one is more important or it's more valuable than this other one. And then I'm going to work on this one first. And only after this thing is done, I'll, I'll move on to the next thing, right? And you'll, you'll figure out what your own system is. You know what's more important or uh, more aspirational for you um, or may have a bigger payoff, whatever the case is. But it's really important to do that. And we, we have to do that in product uh, every day because different, different users have different needs. And as a business, we have different objectives that we want to cater to. And so trying to balance those, all those things is really important. And as you said, <clears throat> if you try and focus on all of those things at the same time, none of them will get achieved or some of them will get achieved very poorly. And neither of those are a win for, for the customers that we're ultimately trying to create products for or for our business because we're, we're not successful. 
So prioritization and focus is really, really important. Same thing on uh, like, like real estate, for example, uh, when we, it's, it's very easy to give somebody your money into a deal that they have put together and they've, you know, they've kind of pitched whatever their pitch is and they've told you why this is worth investing in. Um, and if you don't know any better, you might just take their words for it. But my, my point is it's very easy to just give somebody your money on that. Um, you should, you should not just give somebody your money. You should vet them and you should vet their business plan. But how do you do that if you don't know what makes a good deal from a bad deal? And it's the same thing with, with the idea flow from products. Like how do I weigh somebody's idea versus another one that might be focusing on something completely different? Like I need to kind of understand a little bit about that problem space and about that domain. And so when, how do you underwrite a deal? I don't know. So I, it's really difficult for me to tell a good deal from a bad deal if, if I don't know the mechanics of, of how that works. So spending time to go, okay, well, if I'm looking at a deal, what do I care about in the characteristics of it? Do I care about cash flow? Do I care about appreciation? Uh, what's my risk tolerance? How long do I want to be in a hold? Like, am I okay if my money is not accessible for a little while or do I want it back sooner? And then why does this deal in particular, let's say it's got the return characteristics that I want, what, make, what qualifies it that it's actually going to achieve those returns? What do I know about the team that's putting the deal together? What do I know about the market? Like, have I taken the time to look at, probably as an LP, no, but have I taken the time to look at the rent roll? Have I taken the time to look at the financials? Do, do I have answers to some of those questions that I can just throw at a GP and, and figure out what's going on? But when you're on the sponsorship side, it's, it's the same thing. Like what market do you want to build up a portfolio in and why? Or maybe multiple markets, but you have to be very good at figuring out, all right, I want to go compete in, as an example, North Central Houston. Why? Well, because I've, I've figured out there are certain features about that submarket that are appealing to me and the kinds of deals that I want to solicit. So um, it's very good, as you said, break big things down. If the goal is you want to uh, do one syndication this year, okay, what's step one? Learn about a market or make a phone call to a broker or you know, talk to, have a conversation over a, over a podcast like this and figure out, you know, is there somebody out there that knows something that I don't and I can team up with them because there's something that I know that they don't and we can work together and, and now I'm only having to solve half the problem because now I've got a partner in crime, right? And that's another big thing, like your network is, is huge. But taking big things down to small things and then when there's so many things that you just can't possibly do it all by yourself, go find somebody that knows better and figure out what they can do and what they can't do and do the thing that they can't and you guys team up, right? So that's how you, that's how you eventually scale yourself, right? And with a team, you can go do way more than just by yourself, which is another important thing. And I think, um, honestly, we can go ahead and shift into that right about now that I like the, um, the point that you just made about, you know, shifting from, you know, doing essentially all the work yourself, you know, with, you know, this massive workload, not necessarily being able to achieve everything to say the best of your ability or to the, uh, or to the level that you want. And now you're saying that you have to kind of, you know, branch out, you know, this is not my strong suit. I don't know what I'm doing. How do you kind of go about that in a way like in that first kind of stage where you're like, okay, I recognize that this is a weakness for me or that, you know, I don't understand this thing. You know, how do I then go about, you know, reaching out to someone or finding someone that does understand those things that either I can team up with or potentially learn from? Great question. Uh, I would say, depending on the environment that you're in, it might be easier uh, to do in some places than in others. So I'm going to start on the kind of the corporate 
side of things. Um, when, um, when you kind of have some resources because you're plugged into a company, it's a little bit easier to go, okay, I'm spending a lot of time doing a certain job. And there's a lot of other things that are kind of like stacking up in my plate on my, on my plate that I need to get done. And if I'm not able to get through those things, well, it's probably a good indication that at least one of, of two things needs to happen. I need to either have a better pro process. I'm not efficient. How do I change my process so that I can get more done by myself? Or I need to scale my team. There's also a third option, which is you just stop caring about certain things. And that's appropriate in some cases, but not, not all. So if it's one of the first two things, um, there's only, only so much that you can do to scale yourself uh, and it just be yourself. And that's finding efficiency, uh, doing more with less effort. Eventually you're gonna get tapped out though. And so going to that scale factor is really important. A lot of people, I mean, this is a very important point. There are many people who get so busy with trying to keep up with all the things to do that they don't, they don't think about stepping away from all of that to go, uh, I'm getting weighed down. And that's a difficult thing to do if you're not used to thinking that. And so like when you're uh, waiting tables, I, I didn't mention this, but I waited tables at Olive Garden for a little while. That was my first job actually, I think. And you know, when you're like, oh my gosh, I'm getting behind with serving all my tables, you're not thinking about, hey, Susie, can you, can you please grab drinks for table 17? Cause I need to go to the kitchen and do something, right? Grab a salad or check on their, their order. That was a really simple thing for me to do. I just asked somebody else that was familiar with the space, familiar with the job to be done, if they could help me out. And what was great was I relieved myself. I still got the things done that needed to get done, even though it wasn't literally me that was doing that particular task. And so that's a that's an easy example, but it it works in all capacities. I think that when you when you realize and you need to realize that you're so bogged down, you need some help. You can't do all the things. You need to call a friend, or you need to hire somebody, or something. And finding those people, depending on the the environment that you're in, might be easier said than done. Um, like I said, in the corporate environment, you might have some resources where you can afford to hire somebody. It's not coming out of your own pocket. Maybe as an entrepreneur, that's not the easiest thing to do. You might have to do some arm wrestling. You might have to do some convincing, right? Uh, you may have to offer up some equity, uh, some ownership percentage of some idea that you have. And um, you know, sometimes that's not even good enough, uh, depending on, on what's going on. So, but anyways, find a way to, to figure out what you have to offer that, that's going to be valuable to the other person that you need their help and figure out how to get that going. Um, sometimes that can even just be like talking to a mentor, uh, LinkedIn, get on LinkedIn and look for people who are working in the industry or they're, they're, they are doing the things that you want to be doing and reach out to them. You'd be surprised. Like if you do a, a, a cold call or a cold message on LinkedIn and you're not looking to sell somebody on, on an idea or a product or a service, you're looking to actually uh, learn from them, be surprised how many people might actually respond back and go, oh, yeah, if you're willing to listen to me, like I'll lend you my time. I'll answer some questions or I'll, I'll be a mentor. And not everybody will do that. But if you can find those, those I mean, those are gold mines, right? And um, talk, you know, family, friends, uh, 
You'd be surprised who's actually a, a couple hops away in your network. If you just have the right conversation with somebody and they go, oh yeah, we need to put you in contact with so-and-so, right? And that's actually happened. We got plugged into uh, Raise Masters, you know, um, Adam, and uh, we, through, an, through our pursuit of real estate multifamily syndication, we met somebody and we realized that we needed help on capital raising, you know? I talk about the different roles that are necessary for doing uh, syndications on real estate. And it was like, well, we're really focused on underwriting, but just because I found a good deal doesn't mean I can actually afford to buy it. So I need help with capital raising. And there's, there's other roles that are important too, but it was like, okay, well, gosh, like, how do we do that? And they referred us to, you know, Adam and Hunter on the Raise Master side. And, and now that we reached out to them, you find other people in the network. You know, it's just really important that you figure out what are you overwhelmed with or what do you not know and see if you can find somebody that knows a little bit about that or hopefully a lot of bit about that and they can they can help you out so yeah don't try and do it all by yourself recognize that if you want to go big places you, you got to have a team to get there 100% I can uh, I can personally vouch for the LinkedIn method um, that is pretty much where I started um, I will say the original, uh, the original mentor that I reached out to was through a Zoom room, but after that point, he more or less told me, "Hey, LinkedIn's the power tool. You need to get hooked up on there." So then from there, you know, I began uh, began doing some outreach and everything on there, and I've had a, a lot of success with it. Kind of very similar to you said, if you go to somebody and you're just honestly asking for advice, there's a slim margin of people that will just like straight up turn you away. I mean, there's people that are busy that might never see your message or they might see it and they don't respond. Like, that's okay. But if there's somebody that like flat out tells you no, there's a very slim margin of people that are going to do that. If you're honestly coming to them and just asking to, to learn from them. So um, like I said, I can personally vouch for that method. It does work. You just have to be, just be clear about where you're coming from and that you're trying to learn from them. Definitely. And like, you know, depending on what sales books that you might want to read, uh, some of them will say, go for no, um, go for the yeses too, but like kind of come at it with, if I don't reach out to somebody, I will not learn the thing or I will not get the help. It's guaranteed. Uh, rather than if I reach out and they say no, well, that's fine. Or if I reach out and they don't say anything in either of those cases, you're not really any worse off than you were before, but in the chance that they say yes, right? You never get that if you don't take the chance. So uh, I think as Hunter would say, like the upside, right, is, is there. So you should take it. Yeah, the thought process that I've kind of been kind of starting to implement recently, kind of around that, um, whatever you want to call it, like situation there, is what if it turns out better than you could have imagined? And I try to use that to, one, obviously motivate me to do whatever that thing is that I'm like, you know, holding myself back from doing but also to encourage me to continue doing it because you never know where that could lead. Like I met one guy who honestly grew up not that far from me, but currently lives in Canada, which is much further away from me. And he's introduced me to probably hundreds of people now. And I've made, you know, had got to have numerous conversations with a lot of great people, just like this one. And, you know, I never knew that that's where it was going to go. And that's my point. And I think that that even ties into a lot of stuff that we were talking about in the beginning that, a lot of people hold themselves back from even like reaching out to people or anything because they think that that it has to be perfect, that you have to say the exact thing, that you have to, you know, everything has to be 
to a T and it doesn't like one of the things that I've come to realize, and it took me probably almost a year to realize this is, is essentially that perfection is a myth. And I mean, if you're struggling to work on whatever that thing is for you, I mean, it may be because you just simply don't believe in it enough. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like it's, it's early, especially if you're just starting, like you don't have that level of self-confidence yet. You're not just going to come in, you know, hitting home runs day one. It, it just doesn't exactly work like that. You have to hone your skills, get your legs underneath you. Like we've talked about a few different times tonight as well. But um, perfection is um, I'm a Gary V follower. I don't know about you, but perfection is what he likes to call a bullshit barrier that, that we create for ourselves. I mean, and just the term like perfection, I mean, it's more or less what we say to disguise our own insecurities. And, you know, we just simply say that, you know, um, oh, it's not ready yet. Oh, I just got to tweak it. I mean, and we're just trying not to admit that we're nervous about the fact that it's not good. And, and you know, I understand that I've been there. I'm still there sometimes. Like I get that, but you know, it just takes you a long time to, you know, find your feet, find your voice, like, especially like doing this, I had to find my voice, I had to find, you know, what it was that I wanted to share, and what I wanted to talk about, and to believe that I was bringing value to people every time that I do this, you know, it takes time, and you have to throw perfection out the window, it is never going to be perfect, and that's where I said, like, that was one thing that seriously held me back, personally, because I just always thought that, you know, like, obviously I want to do my best work, but there's also a point where you have to realize that it's just time to start or otherwise it's never going to get done. And I never would have found out what happened on the other end of that connection, what happened on the other end of those opportunities, if I never even started at all. Definitely. Uh, I think another important thing to consider when we talk about perfection is that with, with the saying beauty is in the eyes of the beholder of the beholder, I would say the same thing is true about perfectionism. Like your opinion, your perspective of what would be perfect given a circumstance is probably different than mine. Uh, if, if there is any kind of like subjectivity in the thing and like computer programming, there's a million ways that you could solve the same problem and they are all different uh, from an artistic sense in that like, yeah, one plus one equals two, but so does one plus three minus one minus one equals two, right? And so there's a million different things that you could stitch together to get to the same outcome. Some of them may seem more reasonable or sensible than others, but they can still get you there. And so the point in that is going back to like, what's really perfect there's such a there's such a degree of perception involved in that from one person to the next. So just because you feel like it's not perfect doesn't mean that it didn't hit the mark for whoever else that you were showing it off to. And so it's really important that you do remain bold and just like take the step, do the thing, skin your knees, get back up again, keep moving forward. And and it's fun to like reflect on that over time. There's a guy that I'm working with right now, happens to be, uh, oh gosh. He's either a, a sophomore or a junior. Sorry, Landon, if you ever listen to this, I can't remember what year you're in, but he, he's uh, computer science uh, out of AM. And he came to us originally through uh, a mentorship program and, um, or an internship program. Sorry, excuse me. And uh, <clears throat> he's been with the company for, I don't know, a year and a half, almost two years now. He started off with the internship program, um, came back the following uh, summer did another one. I think we decided to just keep him on part-time if it worked with his uh, school schedule. 
And one of the, one of the things that I think he has enjoyed is coming into a space where, and keep in mind, I know my, my expectation of Landon is relative to where he is in life. It's not like, Hey, Landon, you're walking into this position and I'm expecting you to crank out solutions like a 10 year expert in the field. That's not the case. And so he might feel like his accomplishment is at some level, but that it's completely different the way that I look at it. And we always have conversations to reflect back on after there's some thing that he's built, right? We compare that thing that he just now built to a thing that he built six months ago. And he's like, oh my goodness, I think so differently of the world now, right? Because you picked up a few things along the way. And it's fun to kind of go back and look where you came from too. I think that's another thing that's really important. It's just like retrospecting. I do this all the time, whether it's speaking engagements or it's code that's been written or you know some property that you, you underwrote or some chicken coop that you built. Like It's fun to not be afraid to do the thing, be frustrated with it, be impatient while you're in it, whatever. You make it through that. And then a little bit down the road, you kind of reflect back and you go, oh man, I've grown so much since that time. But you had to go through that. You can't skip. And I think that we, we get frustrated and impatient with ourselves because we just, again, the American culture, I, I said it's easy to be lazy and scroll. I think it's also in, uh, very easy for us to become impatient with things. And that's also why a lot of people don't succeed in certain things is because they're not willing to stay with it. You got to be persistent in things. And if you do that for long enough, you'll wind up being like Landon and uh, cruising through your, your college uh, time, also working in the field, blowing all of your, your colleagues away, right? So uh, food for thought. Yeah, absolutely. I love the way that you worded all of that. So um. Yeah, I'm just going to, I'm not even going to try to reiterate it, but um, anyway, I suppose it is about time to start winding it down. I don't want to take up any more of your time here tonight, let you get back to your wife and kids. So um, the question I always like to ask the guests in closing is if you could go back and have a conversation with yourself, and um, and I know you listed off more than one, but kind of at, at any of those kind of ground zero moments that you listed, what do you think you would tell yourself in that conversation? Stop worrying about getting it right and just go do anything. Like move forward, take a step. I love that. I love that. And, you know, honestly, I think it's powerful enough just that, you know, I think we've already hit it home today. Just, you know, stop worrying so much about where you want to go and how you're going to get there. Just worry about the first step and take that. And then tomorrow, look at the next one and take that and continue to do that. And eventually you're going to get there as long as you continue to take that one step at a time. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Daniel. I really appreciate you coming on today, just being willing to share your story and your experiences. I can't thank you enough. Always remember, everyone, this is Dream Chasers Ground Zero, and there's nowhere to go from here. But uh, thanks, Daniel. You bet, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah.